oh, hey there, she existed audience. I can't see you, but if I could, I bet you'd be looking real good today. Because today is, if you can believe it, my 19th episode. I certainly can't. Um, 19 is a bit of a lucky number for me because it's my and my mom's uh, birthday date, and therefore also the default number on most of my old usernames from ye old AIM and ICQ days. So to celebrate this uh, milestone that I just completely made up, today I have a short and sweet one for you. A love story. Now, of course this is She Existed, so it's like a little problematic, but you know what? Let's focus on the love today. The love between Regina and Berates. So what do we really know about this love story? Actually, uh, not much, really. All we have is a rough date, the mid or late 2nd century CE to go by, and a tombstone, the description of which I will get to in a minute. But with a little creative thinking, it's actually pretty incredible what you can piece together from just a few data points. So to start, I'm going to paint you a background picture. Join me on a brief journey to three disparate locations and cultures. So first up, have you ever heard of the Catavallauni? Yeah, me neither. Turns out the Catavallauni were a Celtic tribe located in sort of the southeast of England, covering bits of a handful of the modern-day Shures. You know, Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire, Cambridgeshire. The tribe's name, uh, which is linked to the Catalauni from the Champagne region of France, is a Gaulish word meaning war chief, so I assume they were not to be fucked with. A few fun facts about them. A famous early Celt leader, Cassivellaunus, is presumed to have been of the Catavallauni uh, tribe, and he actually led the charge against Julius Caesar in 54 BCE. Yes, that Julius Caesar. Another famous Catavallauni leader, uh, Knobeline, who you... Sorry, the pronunciations, I know whatever, you're used to this by now. But anyway, um, but you may know him a little bit better by the name that Shakespeare gave him, Cymbeline, which is one of the bard's uh, plays that is notorious for its infamously complex plot, which is sort of weird since we actually don't really know that much about the historical Cynobeline, but um, apparently Shakespeare took what he knew, ran with it, and made this like crazy play about it. The Catavallani people also minted coins, uh, some of which are the most interesting ancient coins I think I've personally seen. They've got this, like, asymmetrical patterning across the back using these funky little curves and crescents and dots. Uh, I'll put up a picture on the gram, but yeah, so an interesting Celtic tribe. Why am I telling you about them? Well, they were Regina's original people. And yes, I know that, like, maybe her name is pronounced Regina, at least Brits would, but uh, I'm just not going to go there. So Regina, it is. All right. Now let's head over to Palmyra, which is now a part of modern-day Syria. Now, I'm betting that that is not where you would have guessed we would be going, so stay with me. Palmyra might be about as different as you can actually get from the Celtic region we were just talking about. I mean, even putting the weather aside, given that Syria has more of a deserty vibe and Great Britain is known for, like, well, lots and lots of rain. But when I say that Palmyra is an ancient city, I mean, like ancient. Like, our first mention of it ever is from the 2nd millennium BCE, so well over a thousand years before Rome even had its first band of warring assholes scrapping over hills. And by the time that we're talking about, so 2nd century BCE, um, it had gone through a lot already as a city. 
and most recently was taken over by said warring Roman assholes in 14 CE. As a Roman province, Palmyra experienced an explosion of growth and construction, although interestingly they never really installed Roman-style prefects or magistrates, which is kind of weird. There were tax collectors though, I mean, of course. If I may mash up two lines from one of my favorite books of all time, The Princess Bride, quote, everything is after taxes. Taxes were here even before stew. When the first man crawled out of the slime and went to make his home on land, what he had for dinner that night was stew. So they definitely made sure they had the taxes. So yeah, Rome took over Palmyra, didn't really do the whole prefect magistrate thing that they often did in cities that they took over, but they did have tax people. So anyway, as I mentioned, at this time, Palmyra was basically a pretty banging trade center. Like ever heard of the Silk Road? Yeah. So Palmyra was basically the city point where the main road coming from the east split off into two major branches heading into Europe through Turkey and into Africa. So it was a major through point for caravaneers who paid, of course, a caravan tax. From Palmyra came slaves, prostitutes, olive oil, dyed goods, myrrh, perfume, all this great stuff. And in return, they would receive things like jade, spices, muslin, ebony, ivory, precious stones, and obviously silk. So Palmyra was a pretty rad place to be a trader or a merchant or just generally kick it. And a trader is possibly what Barades was, or else he may have been a soldier of the famous Roman legions. So uh, we have this Celtic homeland of Regina, and we have this beautiful desert Palmyra land uh, where Barades is from. As our final setting for this love story, we have Arbea, which is today called South Shields. It's a large Roman fort in the northeast of England that overlooks the mouth of the River Tyne. The name actually means Fort of the Arab Troops, meaning they probably had a pretty significant Arab population, and it had both military and commercial importance in its day. Uh, its location at the mouth of the river made it quite well positioned to supply Roman troops in Britain, and at one point it even hosted the HQ for a Roman invasion of Scotland. At the time of Barades and Regina, it was a pretty fresh place to be, uh, having only been founded in 160 CE, a very recently founded city. So I don't know, maybe it was like a happening spot for an up-and-coming merchant to try to make it big, like going to strike it rich in California in the 1800s or something. Except Barades making the 3,000-mile journey from the wealthy desert landscape of Palmyra with its long-established cityscape to the boggy, wet, stone fort that was Arbea is pretty impressive and also raises the question of why? <laughs> um, because Arbea is where the story ends, that's right. It's the site of the tombstone that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, indicating that our lovers spent some time here, and Regina at least died here. So if you're keeping track, um, that is not only three places, but three pretty disparate cultures that we're talking about here. We're talking about the Celts in the southeast of uh, Britain. We're talking about Palmyra, which was largely Arab populated. And then we're talking about Arbea, which is in the northeast part of Britain, so actually pretty far from Regina's uh, home, and that would have been mostly Roman. So like probably a mishmash of different people and cultures, like I said, a lot of Arabs, but Roman, Roman culture. So let's talk about this tombstone, which is actually why we are all here, because this is, this is what we have that tells us the story of Regina and Barades. 
I highly recommend uh, pausing to take a look at it if you can. It's in pretty good condition, and it has a very beautiful depiction of Regina herself seated in probably a wicker chair. I mean, this is a stone tablet, so materials are up for grabs, but I guess wicker was super common back then, actually. Go figure. She has all kinds of interesting accoutrement around her, although sadly her face has either worn away or been actively chiseled off. Boo. The tombstone, though, has two separate inscriptions on it, one in Palmyron and one in Latin, and it's about uh, 130 centimeters high and 70 centimeters wide. So in Latin, the inscription says, To the spirits of the dead, Regina, freedwoman and wife of Berates, a Palmyrene, she was a Catavalanian, aged 30 years. Okay, so I'm going to pause here and talk about this part. First, I think the glaring obvious elephant in the room here, the word freedwoman. What that means is that Regina was a slave, probably Berates' slave, before he decided to marry her. Oh, uh, weird side note here. This week I learned that the Italian word ciao, you know, the casual hello and goodbye word, comes from the word for slave, schiavo, which my tutor told me was basically back in the day pronounced with a ch sound, which it isn't today, uh, because of a Venetian dialect thing. But anyway, ciao is basically a morphed version of telling someone that you are their slave in Venetian. Super dramatic, like pretty much everything here in Italy, but I'm not mad about it. Anyway, side note over. Back to Regina. The fact that Berates married her, his slave, is kind of incredible when you spend some time with it. I mean, think about it. Not to get too graphic, but if you're someone's slave, you are property. You have no rights. I mean, women didn't have a ton of rights back in these times anyway, but slave, like really, no rights. So that means that if you are a woman and a slave and your master wants to have sex with you, you have no recourse to put him off. So what that means is that sexual attraction cannot have been the sole motivation for this union. Berates had every legal right to violate Regina if he wanted to do so. Instead, he decided to marry her. And that is one reason that I found this story, or not story, but just piece of historical evidence so compelling, and I'm confident in labeling this a love story. If we can label anything from the past in this way, I mean, it's hard to know the motivations of anyone's relationship even today, much less so for people who existed many centuries ago. But the cruel truth is that if Berates didn't love Regina, he could have just used her, sold her, killed her, whatever. And if Regina didn't want to be with Berates, well... It's not like her life could have gotten much lower than being a literal slave. And beyond that, the existence of this tombstone at all is a monument to his love. And frankly, even its existence in this place might be an even bigger sign of how much Berates love and must have missed Regina. It's not only quite a beautiful and elaborate tombstone, but it has been suggested that it may not have even been created in Britain, in part because the Latin inscription on it is way less skillfully executed than the Palmyrin, which might suggest that the maker was not as familiar with Latin. So this means that this intricately crafted tombstone could have been hauled at no small cost from a very long distance to make it to Regina's final resting place. But even if it wasn't hauled, even if it was made on site right there, it's still an impressive tribute. So the Palmyrin text that I mentioned, the text that is a bit more nicely and expertly carved, follows a typical formula for a Palmyrin inscription for the deceased, uh, which is basically something like, 
name and description and a lament. So we have Regina, freedwoman of Berades. Alas. I mean, if someone you love dies, I'm really not sure what else there is to say beyond alas. So those are the two inscriptions on there. Now let's dive into Regina's accoutrement, shall we? Um, because this is where it gets super intriguing, I mean even more so, because she's depicted with a pretty intense mishmash of cultures, from the Roman to the Celtic to the Palmyran. So this is kind of why I gave you this overview of where they were both from and kind of the cultures that were already at play here in this story. So at Regina's feet on her left is a basket of wool, and she's holding a spindle in one hand, symbols which were like the thing to have on your tombstone if you were a high-status Roman woman. Like, even if you probably weren't actually doing the spinning because you had servants and slaves for that, the message is like, yeah, she kept a good house. So like, when you died, this was a pretty important thing to have on your tombstone. So really what this is saying is that Berates and Regina, if she had any input in her <laughs> tombstone before it happened, were saying you know, she was a good Roman housewife. But despite the Romanness of this wool basket and the spindle, Regina is not wearing Roman clothing. In fact, she's actually wearing a dress and jewelry that are suggestive of more British styles, with elaborate details um, all over in the sleeved tunic situation. Apparently the necklace and the bracelets, which are these like beautiful twisted looking metals, are suggestive of torques, which were worn by the Celts, which may actually not have been in style at the time of Regina's death, but they were probably meant to be very evocative and suggestive of that culture for this depiction. So that kind of detail right there, combined with the inscription that notes her tribe, the Catavallauni, is actually a really unusual and interesting emphasis for a tombstone of this sort, and it might indicate Regina's strong connection to the tribe of her birth. This is unusual because typically if you were made a slave, you were considered cut off from your home and family of origin. So the inclusion here is definitely worth noting. So we've got Roman symbols, British and Celtic clothing and jewelry, and then uh, one other piece of jewelry that, uh, so beyond the bracelets and the necklace, she also has on earrings that are very, very similar to a style usually done uh, in carvings of Palmyran women, which of course would be her husband's home culture. So again, like all of these different cultures coming together on this tombstone in a really unique and interesting way. And um, obviously the lavish clothes and jewelry, no matter what culture they're from, are there to indicate wealth <laughs> as well. Uh, not to mention there is a literal money box on the other side of her <laughs> at her feet that she's opening with her right hand. So clearly Berates wanted to make sure that all of these different cultures were represented and that his wife was recognized as a woman of great wealth and means and therefore power, despite the fact that, as is clearly noted on her tombstone, um, she was a slave. So another little fun fact is that a tomb of a Berates has actually been found not far from Arbea. Now, we can't prove that it's the same Berates because it wasn't that uncommon of a name at the time, but if it is, that's just super awesome that maybe we have both halves of this, this couple's tombstones and final resting places. And for that Berates, it indicates that at one point he was a standard bearer, um, and lived to be 68 years old. So totally possible there, um, but yeah, that is what we know about him. So ultimately, Regina's tombstone has really brought to light so much more than just a touching implied love story. 
It's also proof of just how complex life has always been. Cultures have clashed for eternity, it's true, and the world that Regina and Baradis lived in was full of conflict. But cultures have also mixed and melded and worked together for just as long, and so often because of love. Love for another human, no matter their foreign culture, no matter their station in life, love that is worthy of an epic monument that we are still looking at and thinking about almost 2,000 years later. So yeah, Regina, a freed woman, born to the Celtic clan of the Catavallani. She was captured or sold into slavery. She was purchased or gifted to an Arab man from Palmyra, ended up marrying him, living a life of great wealth and comfort far to the north of her home. She existed. And from what we know of it, her life sounds like it would have been worthy of an epic poem. Alas, that we have just this snippet of evidence that only hints at what the real story must have been. But you know what? I'm just grateful that we have anything at all. If you want to know more, you might want to start with Catavallani, which I've struggled with pronouncing. It's the Celtic tribe to which Regina was, was born. Uh, C-A-T-U-V-E-L-L-A-U-N-I. Palmyra, P-A-L-M-Y-R-A, and that is the uh, place that Baretes was from. Arbea, which is Regina's final resting place, A-R-B-E-I-A. And the Silk Road, because that is definitely worth a Google. It's very interesting stuff. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Hey guys, so after I wrote and recorded this, I came across a super cool website with awesome information about Regina's tombstone. Actually, uh, it's a little frustrating because it's just a page describing an entire interactive app about the tombstone, but I actually couldn't find the app to download. So maybe it's just like an on-site experience thing. Like if you go to Arbea, um, maybe you're allowed to take a look at it there. Uh, but anyway, if you do go to this site, you can actually watch videos of really awesome and smart people like Mary Beard, Roman historian queen. Um, they kind of go through it and showcase some of the interesting info and features of the app that, you know, people like you and me can't actually access. But regardless, I learned some really cool stuff. For example, I knew that Roman and Greek sculptures were often painted, but I didn't realize that a tombstone like Regina's would also have been. Cool. Anyway, it is at https colon forward slash forward slash b-r-a-u-n-a-r-t-s that's brown arts dot com slash work slash Regina if you're interested. Ciao!